Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Genesis is reportedly about to file for bankruptcy. What could the impact be on crypto markets? We'll discuss this and much more live with hedge fund manager Mike Alfred. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. Let's jump straight in to the latest price action. We're seeing a bit of a downturn today. Bitcoin had reached a four-month high of $21,500 yesterday. The mood soured around the time the U.S. Department of Justice signaled more crypto enforcement actions. More on that later. The impact was picked up by CoinGlass data, which was cited by Coindesk. Long futures positions, bets on rising prices of Bitcoin and Ethereum were liquidated to the tune of more than $110 million in 24 hours. Coindesk says that represents 76% of all futures trades at the time. We saw a bit of a price recovery across the crypto complex. Bitcoin is up on a 24-hour basis, 1%, and it's currently trading at 20,900. Meanwhile, Ether touched $1,600 for the first time since November. It's trading slightly higher today and changing hands at around $1,500. There might be some selling pressure coming soon for Ether from the community behind Ethereum name service, that's ENS, a governance protocol uh, for ENS's DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, has proposed selling 10,000 Ether from ENS's reserves. The aim is to cover ENS's operating costs for the next two years. The community is now discussing that proposal. One final token we're looking at today is AVAX. The native token of the Avalanche blockchain is down 2% on a trailing 24-hour basis. That's despite some positive news from Coindesk about Avalanche. Coindesk is citing data from Dune Analytics, which show that the number of Bitcoin bridged or ported from the Bitcoin blockchain to the Avalanche smart contract blockchain has surpassed the tally of coins held in the Lightning Network. So obviously a milestone there. Uh, now let's bring in our guest. Mike Alfred is the founder and managing partner at Alpine Fox, a new hedge fund that officially launched yesterday. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto, Mike. Thanks, Ash. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you back on our show. Lots of our viewers thought you absolutely crushed it on the last show. Lots of positive feedback. Great to have you with us again. Uh, Mike, before we get started, tell us a little bit about the fund you launched yesterday. Yeah, so it's been a journey, right? I was in Miami uh, in the fall, and I just sort of floated the idea at a dinner uh, after a presentation that I gave, and somebody stepped up and said, hey, I want to I wanna, I wanna seed you uh, on this idea. And so I literally started writing you know, 20 minutes uh, worth of thoughts on what the fund was actually going to do a couple weeks after that, uh, believe it or not. And so you know, it's, it's starting as a single outside LP fund. It's value-oriented. It's got a hybrid fund. There's a little bit of Bitcoin, a little bit of equities, 
covering mostly healthcare, energy, staples, and financials. Um, and, you know, looking for really interesting, unique situations, sometimes in micro cap and small cap companies where I can do activist work, something that I enjoy uh, doing. So it's, it should be an interesting fun. It won't look like anything you've ever seen before. Excellent. So guys, if you're watching, uh, make sure to pop your questions for Mike in the live chats on the Real Vision website or on YouTube. You can also ask them in our Discord. We'll put the questions to Mike toward the end of the show. Real Vision members take priority. With that said, let's jump right in. Hey, Mike, according to multiple news outlets, crypto lender Genesis is preparing to file for bankruptcy. Obviously, you know this already. You've been covering it on Twitter. Uh, sources speaking with Bloomberg, the FT, and others say it could happen as soon as this week, since it's Thursday. I guess that would be today or tomorrow. Uh, according to Bloomberg, Genesis's parent company, Digital Currency Group, also known as DCG, is currently negotiating with its creditors. The FT previously reported that Genesis owes $3 billion. A source speaking to the block says creditors are negotiating a prepackaged bankruptcy. That means an agreement is reached before a company files for bankruptcy under Chapter 11. Essentially, this is sometimes known as uh, walking hand in hand into the courthouse. Essentially, you have the creditors uh, and the uh, and the debtor basically agreeing to terms before they walk in. That's kind of the framework uh, for a prepackaged bankruptcy. The block's source says creditors would agree to a forbearance period uh, in most of the payments uh, between one and two years forbearance, meaning they wouldn't be making those payments to the creditors. Uh, in exchange, creditors would receive cash payments and equity in DCG, this according to reporting by the block. Among the creditors is the Gemini uh, crypto exchange run, of course, by the Winklevoss twins. Mike, obviously a lot of news flow here on this story. Uh, I know you're following this one closely. Big picture, what are your thoughts? It's messy, right? And um, the DCG got pretty big. Uh, there's a lot of subsidiaries. There are a lot of investments. I think they have several hundred uh, venture investments. I didn't see it uh, candidly coming to this point. I knew that uh, DCG paid a dividend. I knew that they bought back stock. That's quite unusual uh, for for growth stage uh, private companies. Like if you see companies doing that, they're usually large, publicly traded, slower growth companies with a lot of cash flow. Um, so when I heard that a few years ago, I thought that was really interesting. I said, "Wow, Barry's a genius. He figured out how to run a private company like like a large uh, mature public company." Um, but at this point, it looks like some of that capital was sort of premature and being distributed, right? Like it probably should have been kept in reserve uh, for this exact uh, moment. And, you know, the most stunning thing about this from my uh, standpoint is that Barry literally tweeted the tweet of the decade in crypto, right? He, he tweeted out, I think it was June of 2021, I think it was, where he said there's a daisy chain of borrowers in this space, right? If you had any idea how bad it was, you know, you would be, you know, very concerned. And yet Genesis managed to do exactly what he sort of warned about. And that speaks to the decentralized nature of their operation. It looked a little bit like Berkshire Hathaway where Barry's sort of Buffett and he's got a team of people that run the different subsidiaries, but not all of those subsidiary leaders were as strong. Um, and some of them made a lot of mistakes and, you know, those, a lot of those folks are gone now, uh, but Barry still has to live with the results of that. And so we'll see if they're able to, to work through this, I've heard rumors that some of this prepackaged bankruptcy uh, structure was sort of being floated uh, by DCG itself to try to tempt or push uh, the creditors into accepting those terms, right? And I also believe they probably would like to monetize uh, Genesis if they can, which if they, if they could find somebody who actually wanted to buy Genesis, that would be an ideal scenario. I think that may be almost impossible at this point. Uh, but the question, the only question I have is if Genesis goes under, does DCG... Uh, managed to survive. And obviously they're selling off other parts of the empire now, hopefully to stem that. 
Gosh, there's just so much here to talk about. It's hard to know where to begin. Uh, you made that reference to the, the, the tweet of the decade in crypto, uh, sort of the understanding about the interlinkages and the credit risk throughout the space, and yet, and yet winding up in precisely that position. Uh, you know, I want to just read this uh, quote here. This is from a Wall Street Journal uh, story published on Tuesday called A Crypto Magnet Saw the Risks and Was Still Hammered, sort of precisely that point. Uh, here's the quote. The organization got so big, it was almost like a victim of its own success, said Mike Alfred, founder of Digital Asset Data, uh, which was once part of DCG's venture portfolio. Quote, Barry was no longer able to manage the risk himself at every subsidiary. So you just alluded to this, the idea uh, that the company sort of, uh, the you had this uh, this holding company in DCG, you had these operating companies, these portfolio companies, uh, in one of them specifically, Genesis, risk got out of control. Barry was no longer able to manage it in your view. Uh, tell us a little bit more, unpack a bit about how that credit risk started to pop up as you see it. Well, I mean, look, this is the problem with becoming too big in this space. Remember, there's not a lot of linkages crypto to the traditional financial market. And so what happens is these companies tend to become very incestuous, right? And they tend to do a lot of business amongst themselves back and forth. Like if you put up a perp board, like if you were a detective and you put up a whiteboard and you connect all the people, it's the same five, 10, 15 faces with a bunch of arrows directed between all of them. And so, you know, three arrows started off as a good actor, right? And then as they got bigger and bigger and bigger, they started to lie. Uh, to their creditors about the state of their balance sheet or just simply refuse to provide information. But I think the view within Genesis and other lenders was, well, this is a big player. You know, Kyle and Sue are big players and they've always paid their debts. So why shouldn't we give them more capital? If we don't give them more capital, somebody else is going to give it to them. And so it's right. a slippery, it's a slippery slope where you lend more and more and more, and then you lend with less and less and less protection. Right. And so you, you lend with less margin of error and you, and you lend with less, proof that they can actually uh, repay the money. And I think that's what happened. It just snowballed and the incentives are misaligned, right? Because if you're, if you're the CEO of Genesis, your bonus is based on giving out more loans. And so nobody says, well, across the full cycle of 10 or 15 years, do these loans make sense? They say, well, will I get my bonus this year if we don't give these, these $2 billion of additional loans to three arrows or XYZ counterparts? In a sense, it's the same thing as what happened in the 2007, 2008 financial crisis right. where these banking CEOs and, and banking executives were incentivized to take more risk because if they lost, nothing happened to them. And if they won, they made a bigger bonus. It's really, it's really right. no different than that. Yeah. Uh, there are two key differences, of course, between the 2008 financial crisis, the traditional finance system, and what happens in crypto. Uh, number one, it's far, far uh, more lightly regulated in the crypto space. There's less transparency. There's less good reporting standards uh, on a lot of this data. And number two, of course, there's no lender of last resort that's going to ride to the rescue in the case that things blow up. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the, the second one's the one I talk about the most and why I say it's not just theoretical that sort of the crypto industry could go to zero. Uh, it's not just hypothetical because um, who would buy Binance if if Binance crashed, right? Like who would who would buy, uh, you know, Coinbase if Coinbase crashed? And so maybe JP Morgan or Citigroup or Goldman or somebody would step in at that point and just pick up the pieces. But it's not the same as the traditional system where, you know, the Federal Reserve can just step in and save whole industries. 
Mike, let me ask you about this distinction, because I can hear that there are jaws tightening out there when you say the crypto industry could go to zero. The last time uh, we had you on, uh, you were on with a terrific reporter from Coindesk named Sam Kessler, who made this distinction between crypto on the one hand and the crypto industry on the other, uh, these being the sort of the centralized exchanges, the centralized actors, the centralized entities in the space versus the underlying value of the coins, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, and others. Is that a distinction that you make when you refer to the fact that the crypto industry could go to zero? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm referring mostly to the centralized uh, firms because obviously com even Compound, Aave, Maker, uh, et cetera, perform quite well in, in liquidating uh, counterparties during the Celsius uh, drama. They didn't ask for any permissions to do that. They didn't call and ask for a balance sheet or audited financials. They didn't say, please post more collateral. They just liquidated. Um, so I think, I think truly decentralized uh, crypto protocols work quite well. The challenge is just, it's not clear who actually controls them over the long run. So I have a lot more faith and confidence in protocols that can't be suddenly changed uh, and can't suddenly be taken over by a single party or stopped or paused because somebody doesn't like something that happened. And so I lean more towards thinking that Bitcoin is the only protocol that's proven to be decentralized enough to be mm. trusted, but there are others that seem like they're on that path and could be uh, trusted protocols over the long run. Yeah, important distinctions. I wanted to get you to talk a little bit about the lending situation, particularly the relationship between Gemini and Genesis. You know, you made this really interesting point here where you talk about uh, the incentive structure in financial institutions, whether they're on the traditional finance side or on the digital asset slash crypto side. And it's something that I think is very hard for people to get their heads around uh, because when you think about the metaphor of, of your own personal household or a small business, it's very hard for people to understand that banks and lending institutions make money only when they're lending money out. Uh, your deposits at a bank or liabilities, their loan book is the asset, and the obvious uh, incentive structure is to maximize the value of those assets by continuing to lend, at, often continuing to lend at higher risk because you're able to generate higher yields on that. Talk a little bit about that concept first, and then second, talk about the relationship between Gemini Lend and Genesis uh, and what that structure looked like. My understanding and the way that I've been discussing it is calling Genesis uh, the sort of back-end liquidity provider to the Gemini Lend product. Yeah, so you know, at a very high level, I think what happened to be candid is that the Winklevoss twins saw the success uh, on paper of of uh, BlockFi uh, in particular, and maybe secondarily Celsius. And I think it was probably annoying to them because remember they had sort of tried to follow all the rules and get a Bit license and get a New York Trust license, and so they lost out to Binance and some of these other offshore exchanges, and they were losing out on the lending side to these kids at BlockFi who also started out, I think, in New York as well. So I'm sure they were right in their ecosystem. And of course, they were investors through their through their uh, uh, Winklevoss Capital entity. And so they wanted to get into that lending game. Who wouldn't? It looked really good during the bull market. And so they started a product without really having the infrastructure, uh, without even having a risk management department or really having the, the, the team or the tools to do that. And so they basically outsourced the whole thing to Genesis thinking, oh, Genesis is the biggest uh, uh, lender here. They've been around the longest. They've been doing it a long time. They, they must know how to do it. And they basically outsourced all of it, but they put their name on it. And that's where I think a lot of these letters, these love letters being sent back and forth on Twitter are a little bit disingenuous uh, because they're, it's basically a really great misdirection and deflection play. It's like, let's blame it all on Barry, even though we made the decision to market a product called Gemini Earn, which takes our customer's capital and gives it to somebody else, right? Which is actually at a very high level, one of the problems with all of these platforms. Like we just learned in the Celsius uh, case that the 
bankruptcy judge ruled that all those assets were actually the uh, property of the company, not the depositors, right? Because it turns out if you write the legal agreements a certain way, even though it feels wrong that I no longer own my assets, that you have legally given them uh, ownership of your assets. And that's sort of what, what, what Gemini did in a sense. They took their customers' assets and then they just gave them to Genesis and then Genesis just gave them to Three Arrows and other people because, again, there was no real business here. Because in the long run, unless there's a real vibrant ecosystem of companies that are actually able to use that capital to grow in an intelligent way, all you're doing is just playing this sort of shadow Ponzi scheme game where everybody's passing money around to each other. You're seeing that with Justin Sun and Huobi and Binance and Twitter and Gate and Crypto.com where everybody's sort of sharing a balance sheet. They're all transferring assets around to each other. And at various periods of time, there's systematic sort of insolvency that's being covered up by asset shifting that's happening between these firms. So that's all you're seeing is just assets move from one set of customers to one company, to another company, to another company. And it turns out the company at the very end lost it all, right? And so then that kind of right. goes back, it flows back through to the company that the last company to lend to them and the company after that. And so we're here, we're seeing the rumblings at the very front end of angry people, but the bad decision was made at the front end when you sort of believe that there was real yield to be earned in an environment of zero rates, right? Because when all these companies started, BlockFi, uh, when Gemini Earn started, the rates were basically zero. So right. why should why should somebody be able to get eight or ten percent in any sort of sustainable way when there's nothing in the sort of real yield marketplace to get? And so I and think that was way, just a mass, could... that was a mass delusion, by the way, in the, in the entire crypto lending space to believe that that was sustainable. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And by the way, they were able to restructure and refinance as well. Uh, those entities were uh, perhaps when there might have been a higher risk of insolvency, but they were able to get money very cheaply to shore up those businesses. You know, for those of us who have a, a couple of gray hairs here who watched uh, the 2007-2008 financial crisis unfold, the one thing that you could essentially copy and paste uh, from that crisis in terms of lessons learned to this one is that whenever uh, any entity outsources credit underwriting uh, and reviews and understanding the creditworthiness of borrowers uh, or risk, there always seems to be uh, this, this kind of principal agency uh, distortion uh, that happens where you know you see this desire to chase yield uh, to generate returns and the problem is fundamentally uh, who's looking after whether or not those at the end of the chain wherever that money winds up whether or not those investments are credit worthy and it turns out there's really no great counterparties at the end of the chain in crypto at this point because it's such a nascent industry and mm. there's so little traditional regulation there's no, some of these people are not dumb. They just have no, they have nothing keeping them in line. There's no guardrails at all. And so you give a really smart person an environment where there's no guardrails and a seemingly infinite amount of money to, to make, then they turn into three arrows, uh, right? And that just sort of happens organically. Look, like Coinbase might be a good counterparty, but they don't need to borrow money from Genesis, right? Because they can, they can literally right. issue bonds. They can issue billions of dollars of bonds in the traditional... Uh, a regulated market in the U.S. because they're a publicly traded company that's audited. 
right? And so like the, the only companies you'd want to lend to don't need your money. And the companies that do need your money in crypto are probably going to lose it. And so it's a loser's game. And it, it was sort of obvious if you were paying close attention when you saw Celsius and Three Arrows and all these firms at BlockFi get trapped in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust trade way back in the spring, early spring of, of 2021. That would have been an early warning sign that these companies didn't know what they were doing because they were all doing the, the NAV trade and they were just piling customer money, uh, borrowed money, et cetera, because BlockFi and Celsius were literally just taking customer money and then dropping it into GBTC privately at, at NAV and then hoping to dump it into the market at a premium. When that arbitrage trade flipped, that should have been the warning sign that these lending businesses just don't work because that's the best idea that they could come up with for how to allocate that capital. Uh, boy, Mike, you may have just given me the title uh, for my book if I write about this, The Loser's Game, this idea of uh, this kind of the daisy chain of people who uh, want money, uh, who, who need money, uh, can get it, uh, you know, in the public debt market if they're able to do it. And uh, those who are not credit worthy, who are willing to take it, uh, often lose it. I mean, that's just a hell of a paradox. Yeah, and we're still there now. And this is the one of the biggest things that I think people are still getting wrong. They're looking at a little bounce, right, a 20% bounce in Bitcoin and you know, 100 plus percent bounce in some of the Bitcoin miners and, you know, a, a rally in Coinbase. And they're saying, oh, this is over. And we haven't even really seen the recession yet. Like the recession that's been coming for a year that everybody sort of knows is coming, but people are so quick to forget that the moment they see a little bit of a rally in markets, I mean, the yield curve still super inverted, uh, the Fed's still, still raising, right? The market seems to think that the Fed's going to stop raising, but what's going to be the catalyst for that other than a major recession? Um, liquidity is coming out of the market. I think we're, I think what we're experiencing is this lag between all of the liquidity that was created, particularly over the last two, three years since COVID, uh, and, and what's happening now, which is all that liquidity being drained out. And so this mm -hmm. is lag time and we're in that intermediate period where there's so many cross currents because you know that things, conditions are getting harder. You know that rates are higher, but you go to the store or you get on an airplane or you go to Hawaii or whatever, and the restaurants are packed and you're like, what's going on here? How can they be pulling this much liquidity out of the economy and still have everybody out partying and, and eating and drinking and flying and, and buying stuff at the mall? So I, I just think this period will look back probably in three to six months and be like, wow, that was a really, a lot of people were delusional about what was going on. And I think in crypto in particular, that, that the liquidity uh, withdrawal that's happening has not really, really, like we see signs of it, right? Through all of these $100 million plus stablecoin transfers between these platforms and some desperation at Huobi and some some desperation at crypto.com, et cetera. But we haven't seen another major insolvency event, although I suspect there are several firms that are actually sort of technically insolvent right now. They're sort of walking zombie companies. They're surviving off the last little bits of liquidity that are still hanging around the ecosystem, but that could the rest of that could evaporate in the next few months and, and then we'll find out who actually has the capital their customers think they have. Yeah, we've got a lot of other stories to cover, but before we move on, I just wanted to go through this uh, bit from the Wall Street Journal piece. This actually comes right after your quote. Uh, there's this bolded list that essentially uh, details the challenges that DCG has faced. Uh, first, halting withdrawals to clients that they were no longer able uh, to meet those redemptions uh, and potentially filing for bankruptcy. That's point number one. Second, the SEC. Oh, boy, I have to sneeze. <laughs> so let's see if I can hold it till we get through the bulleted list. Uh, second, the SEC lawsuit against both Genesis, the DCG portfolio company, and Gemini uh, for the Gemini Lend product. Gemini is, of course, as we talked about, the uh, Winklevoss twins uh, company uh, where Genesis was serving as the back-end liquidity provider. Obviously, SEC filing suit in civil charges against both. Uh, third, 
The plunge in GBTC share price, which you just alluded to, uh, that's the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust managed by uh, Grayscale Investments, itself a portfolio company of DCG. Uh, and of course, the consequent steep discount to net asset value uh, in the underlying Bitcoin versus the underlying Bitcoin shares, the price of GBTC versus the underlying Bitcoin shares. Fourth and finally, the fact uh, that DCG, quote, uh, venture investments, as well as its mining, media, and other businesses have also tumbled in value amid the sharp crypto downturn. So they lay out these kind of these four kind of points uh, about what has gone wrong over at DCG. Uh, how do you reflect on that in terms of the macro case and the challenges that they're having really across the board, the the, the grayscale share discounts, uh, in whether it's GBTC or ETHE, the Ethereum version of it, uh, and there are a few other products that are much smaller there, the SEC lawsuit, uh, which we've touched on, I think only briefly here. And finally, the, de the steep decline uh, in the value of their venture portfolio, their mining portfolio, and of course, uh, their media products. Well, I mean, like I said, it's a messy situation and, you know, all these things are linked together, right? Because they're all sort of, uh, they're all sort of linked to the prices of the underlying assets. And so when the assets go up, everything looks valuable, right? Every business in crypto looks valuable when Bitcoin's 60 or 70,000 and every business in the space looks somewhat impaired at 15,000 or 16,000, right? right? Even, even Coinbase, you know, they had, they had billions of dollars of cash on their balance sheet. Um, and their bonds are trading at 50 cents, right? And the stock price is down from a high of over 400 to at one point it hit 31, I think, or 30 a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that's one of the best run businesses in the space and one of the best capitalized businesses in the space. Um, the private ones in general are much worse off because they can't access uh, capital at the same, same scale. And so I think, look, these things start to collapse one after another. And so if, if it turns out that Coindesk isn't worth as much as you think, or if it turns out Grayscale isn't worth as much as you think at the same time that Bitcoin is 15, 16, 20,000, all of a sudden you have to question the value of the overall uh, organization. I think, look, even mm. just three, four weeks ago, I think DCG was probably a lot more confident, but I think the longer this goes on, the more pressure there is on them to deal, the more pressure there is for them to liquidate some assets, right. uh, to get liquidity, to try to cover some of these these debts. But again, like my comment in the journal was, was to that effect, which was basically like, I didn't see this coming for them because, um, you know, if you knew Barry before, he's definitely one of the smarter people in the ecosystem. Right. And see, just to get to where he is, like he had to know what he was doing, but I think as they got so big and they got so distributed, you can take your eye off the ball, right? You, you're right. not paying attention to to every area. And the problem is when you're doing a lot of lending, you're, whenever you're using debt, a risk manager needs to be looking at it very closely. And I'm not sure that that's kind of what happened as they got bigger. So, 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 so let me ask you this, we'll get to Coindesk in just a second here. You know, one of the things we do here on the show is when we're talking about uh, new uh, protocols, new projects, we always talk about the risks. In this conversation, we've been mostly talking about the risks and the potential downsides for DCG. What's the potential uh, workout here? What's the potential upside? Do you see a positive case uh, sort of to counterbalance uh, all the gloom and doom we've been talking about so far? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the positive case revolves around being able to liquidate or trade assets in a way that allows DCG to survive the down cycle and still own something on the way back up again, right? So one potential option would be if somebody like a Gemini would take Genesis, because remember, Gemini doesn't have a institutional business, right? They would like to have an institutional business, but they're mostly retail. Um, and building an institutional business hard, Genesis is still absent the, the lending business, the trading business uh, and the custody business is still fine, 
So if they would take that business in sort of like a trade of sorts, or if they were to acquire that, I know this sounds crazy, right? But if they were to do a deal <laughs> like that, you got to float the craziest idea first, because then you can come back to the to the less <laughs> crazy ones. But but something like that, where Genesis doesn't just file and ends up getting flipped uh, or traded in some way, would would be interesting. And then of course the grayscale business is still worth something. Right. It's it's annoying, right, that the GBTC is traded at a discount for so long, and nobody likes that. But it still prints cash, and so that's still worth something. It probably needs to be sold or liquidated in, in some fashion and maybe at enough value that it, it can sort of help them outrun the debt. But really it's all about keeping DCG alive because if you're alive right. for the next cycle, you'll, you'll do fine. Well, you know, it's interesting to, to think about whether that would happen given the, the nasty grams uh, flowing between uh, the Winklevoss brothers uh, and Barry Silbert. I wanted to get to the next story because you, it actually- real, real quick, Ash, do you remember when, when CZ and, and SBF were going at it and then the next day they said they wanted to do a deal? So don't and be then, surprised then, if there's a and sudden then they divorced. And then, yeah. you know, the 36 hours later, there was a divorce. So it was this like weird shotgun wedding followed by this really nasty divorce. I mean, the space is uh, never at a shortage for uh, for drama, for sure. Uh, but to precisely this point, as we talk about the potential to spin out some of these assets, uh, the next story here is closely linked, uh, you know, to the one about Genesis. It's the sister company of Genesis. In fact, Coindesk is reportedly exploring a sale of both Genesis and Coindesk. The popular crypto news sites are subsidiaries of the same company, Digital Currency Group. According to an exclusive report by the Wall Street Journal, Coindesk has retained investment bank Lazard to explore options. The CEO of Coindesk, Kevin Wirth, told the journal that a partial or full sale are both on the table. Worth says they have received, quote, numerous inbound indications of interest in Coindesk over the last few months. Uh, disclosure, I worked at Coindesk. I know Kevin Worth uh, reasonably well. He's a very smart guy. It'll be interesting to see how this one shakes out. Uh, but nonetheless, it's just if we, you know, we, we probably can't treat all of these stories as equal, uh, you know, in the sense that uh, Coindesk is a, a great company, but it's probably not a valuation uh, anywhere near something like, um, you know, Genesis uh, or uh, I don't think it's a $3 billion company like, you know, the, the the gap here in the in the balance sheet that we've heard reported. So probably a distinction between Genesis uh, and uh, and Grayscale and Coindesk in terms of the value of the assets and how much they can offset some of that debt. But speak to that a little bit more generally, uh, both on the media side and uh, in the, the sort of broader financial context, if you would, Mike. Yeah, so I actually know Kevin pretty well and I've spent a a bit of time with him and i agree with your comment that he's a smart guy obviously i don't think this directive is coming from him right it's coming yeah. from from dcg and i think it speaks more to the mindset of where dcg's at right now which is they need to test the waters and they can't just say hey we have these valuable assets they have to prove it now because that's the situation that we're in like a few weeks ago i think barry probably thought he wouldn't need to do this but now it looks pretty clear that he does um, and so i think this is like a trial balloon like hey let's test the market and see what we could get for Coindesk. And then if that goes okay, and it seems like we can do a transaction, then we need to start testing the market for Foundry or for Grayscale, uh, right. right? Or any of the other Luno or any of the other subsidiaries. Uh, they already shut down their new HQ business, but that was really like a high-end, somebody called it a wealth management business on Twitter, but it's really not. It's more of like a high-end concierge uh, and security service for executives and owners of crypto. I saw the presentation, the private presentation when they were launching that of what it does. I, they never really sort of publicized that. So shutting down HQ wasn't really that big of a deal, but I think seeing what Coindesk is worth, seeing what Grayscale is worth, uh, seeing what Foundry or Luno might be worth, I think is an important part of even just convincing outside investors to provide more capital. Because the outside investors, Barry has a lot of relationships 
I'm sure they're just wondering like, what's, what's the real value here now if, if Genesis goes down? Cause Genesis was supposed to be one of the kind of golden gooses in, in this, uh, you know, collection of geese. Yeah, absolutely. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, talking of the broader space, obviously there are a lot of other stories uh, out there floating around that we should talk about. As our team was getting ready to go on air just yesterday, the U.S. Department of Justice made quite a splash on Twitter. It teased a, quote, international cryptocurrency enforcement action to be revealed at a press conference. Cryptocurrency prices promptly nosedived. The DOJ announced an enforcement action against a little-known exchange, uh, BitsLotto, whose headquarters are listed in Hong Kong. Authorities accused BitsLotto of laundering 700 million U.S. dollars. Officials said they arrested the Russian owner of BitsLotto in Miami. What's more noteworthy is that what's inside the FinCEN order. Let me directly quote this as reported by Coindesk. Quote, approximately two-thirds of BitsLotto's top receiving and sending counterparties are associated with darknet markets or scams. For example, BitsLotto's top three receiving counterparties by total amount of BTC received between May 2018 and September 2022 were Binance, a virtual asset provider, the Russian-connected darknet market Hydra, and the alleged Russia-based Ponzi scheme, the Finico, uh, close quote, uh, coming out of the DOJ. Uh, Mike, contextualize this for us. I know that you've been writing uh, about uh, about Binance on Twitter a great deal. Uh, talk about this story, Bitslato, in itself, and then also in the context that it brings uh, to the questions about Binance. So this is one of the strangest things I've seen recently because the DOJ made a big deal about this press conference and they wheeled out a bunch of other uh, folks from from like the FBI and other places. And so I expected it to be a much bigger deal, right? It's an international cryptocurrency enforcement action. And then they named a firm that literally people have been around the space for almost 10 years have never heard of, uh, which makes sense uh, because, you know, if the platform's primarily used to commit crimes and to do money laundering, like most reputable people aren't, aren't going to know much about it. Uh, but to say it's a big deal and then mention a firm that nobody's heard of was just a little bit odd. I couldn't tell if they didn't realize that nobody cared about BitsLotto um, or if they're thinking of this as a stepping stone towards going after some of the bigger players that are sort of associated. So if they can take down an easy one where it's very clear crimes have committed and then they can tie BitsLotto to Binance, um, maybe that's helpful, right, in their existing investigations. Right uh, about Binance, and so well, the, this we don't, we don't this know. Is, just to be clear, in, in terms of full disclosure, we we don't know uh, if they are connected, other than the fact that they were a counterparty at this point. We don't know how that. Or they're connected to, in terms yeah. of where the money. I mean, they're saying right here that the money flow, right, uh, headed right. to Binance, and then of course the, the 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 Binance spokesperson gets in a quote saying, "We're so happy to be helpful." I guarantee you, they weren't that helpful. I, that's I, I feel confident in saying that. Um, but once once a story like this comes out, you your PR person better say you were helpful. Um, I, I just think that like Binance has participated in more shenanigans in the space than almost any other company. They're they're now pretending like they were always a good actor, 
maybe they can get their act together in time before the DOJ or some other, uh, you know, agency comes down on them. But I just suspect that over the next year, something's going to happen there. Uh, because now there's a lot of data that shows that Binance U.S. customers' funds are shipped to Binance International and to the affiliated market makers that are trading offshore, which is sort of specifically barred from happening. There's a reason why Binance.com was not allowed to operate uh, in the U.S. And they, were, they set up Binance U.S., but now there's proof on chain that they're, they're sharing assets. So I just think we may be a couple hops away from that, but this... Uh, bits lotto thing while while laughable in the moment because it was sort of meaningless to most people in the space it may end up being connected through several hops to some bigger enforcement action in the future yeah we really just don't know what if any connection is there besides as you say uh, at this point what's been disclosed which is money flow and obviously binance listed as uh, the number one uh, money flow destination from sending and receiving uh, but again, we're going to have to wait to see. Obviously, we should say uh, Binance has not yet been charged with a crime. Not been charged with a crime. Let's not say yet. They have not been charged with a crime. Uh, it's nearly time for some viewer questions. But before that, for those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision crypto content. This Friday, we will release Rao's epic interview with CryptoPunk6529. And epic really isn't an exaggeration here. It's the longest interview uh, Rao has ever done. Again, that's realvision.com forward slash crypto. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Uh, with that said, Mike, want to jump in and take some viewer questions? Looks like they're coming in fast and thick. Okay, here's the first one from Paul E. on the Real Vision website. Uh, what will be the future for GBTC? Asking you to break out your crystal ball here, obviously. Uh, but Mike, what do you think about GBTC? What does it, its future look like? Obviously, trading now uh, looks like on my screen at a 42% discount, 42, almost 43%. Uh, let's call it 43%. Uh, so obviously, you're able to buy those assets uh, at a significant discount. What's your take on what's going to happen going forward? So over a long enough time arc, eventually it'll convert to the value of the underlying assets. I think the, the trust is protected from bankruptcy. So if TCG were to even DCG were to go bankrupt and Grayscale too, like somebody else is going to take over as the manager of that fund. And I think another owner, another manager of that fund would probably lower the fees and would probably potentially look to even just unwind the trust. And so whether it ends up converting to an ETF at some point, in which case it would uh, you know, trade at NAV or whether somebody else manages, I think over time, eventually you're, the, the Bitcoin's all going to come out of that uh, product um, in one way, in one form or another. So I, I'm not saying you should bet on it here because that could take years. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't be too worried if you're sort of trapped in there. I would just stay where you're at. Mike, let me let me ask you this. Obviously, if you look at the price uh, where investors are are trading this, uh, the you know it's it's quite clear you can buy almost a dollar's worth of assets from Barry for just a bit over fifty cents. Uh, that's obviously a very steep discount. What is the discount pricing in? Is it just the duration of time that it might take to recover those assets? Is your assertion that essentially that they're protected in trust and therefore uh, would not uh, get uh, just sort of go to the general creditors in the case of a bankruptcy of DCG? Obviously, this is speculative theoretical here, uh, or in the case of a bankruptcy uh, of, of Grayscale itself. Uh, why the discount so steep if that's the case? Well, so this happens all the time in closing funds, right? And so high quality assets can can trade at 10, 20, 30% uh, discount on a closed-in fund because a closed-in fund is not the same thing as holding the assets yourself. You just have 
ownership in a structure, ownership in a trust that holds those assets and you have no control. And in the meantime, you're paying 2% of your assets per year. So uh, I don't know if it's pricing in 20 years of that 2% because I don't think anyone thinks that this saga is going to go on that long, but I think there's a reasonable amount of doubt that it converts anytime soon. And I think most people who want to own Bitcoin, the value of owning Bitcoin is to hold it in cold storage where there is no counterparty risk at all, where you have full control, where you can liquidate it anytime you want. And so this this trust could trade at a discount uh, indefinitely. And because there's no end date and there's no trigger for uh, rating the trust, there's no there's no way that it can trade back towards uh, NAB until it's really the same thing as Bitcoin. And so again, an ETF conversion or a replacement of the manager, and then that new replacement manager saying, "Look, we're going to lower the fees to 50 bips, uh, and and if we can't get it back to NAB that way in a year, we're just going to." Uh, wind up the trust because I think Barry has the right to push the button to unwind the trust. The problem is, is then he'd be giving up, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of fees. Right. But you mentioned a 10 to 20% discount for closed end funds not being uncommon. Uh, this got down, it looks like on this chart that I'm just trying to eyeball here, it looks like 48 spot five. So it's nearly a 50% discount to net asset value. That is a massive discount. Yeah, because there's a lot of people, a lot of the biggest holders got trapped in there, right? So there's this heavy weight of the BlockFi's and the Celsius and the three arrows that acquired way too much of the trust. Then the trust flipped from a premium to discount the trust pricing. And so they're trapped in there and then they all go bankrupt. Um, and so I think it just created, it created like a, like a weight uh, on the, on the trust price because you have all these people that are trapped. They want to get out and they have to sell in order to get liquidity, even though they don't necessarily want to, because there's no, again, there's no, path that's clear for when they could get their money back out at the nav price um, so i just think too many people got trapped too many heavy uh you know uh, too many people are trapped under the heavy weight uh, of that discount and then a bunch of those firms went bankrupt and so i think uh that created this dynamic this sort of negative flywheel dynamic that created that that substantial discount and i, I don't think it's completely unjustified hmm. like it you probably uh, again not financial advice it's probably not a bad bet from an arbitrage standpoint, but I've been saying that for six or nine months, right? And that's been wrong. So we'll see. Uh, so here's a question about uh, another uh, f- firm that's been talked about here a great deal for you, Mike. What's Mike's opinion on the future of Silvergate? Do you have an opinion on the future of Silvergate? Uh, this, of course, is the crypto bank. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't I can't speak to like what the ultimate uh, and goal there is I, I think uh, Signature Bank is the one people are talking about now because they've been trying to unwind their crypto exposure and their stock is still kind of holding up. I think it was the last I checked, it was like a five or six billion uh, market cap, maybe a little, little higher. Um, so I think the, the challenge is to everybody who has exposure to crypto has egg on their face right now in the banking sector. And the banking sector is so highly regulated. These firms kind of found a little loophole to do business in the space and then it seems to have backfired. So I think the bigger issue is just the the quality and the availability of banking services for crypto companies is going to continue to be challenged. That's the real impact here. I, I have no idea whether Silvergate survives or not. Here's a question for someone who's obviously following you on Twitter, Mike. Uh, who will be the next domino to fall and what are the holes in Binance? This comes to us from Dan Smith on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I, predicting exactly who's going to go down next is is really, really hard as we as we know. Uh, but I do think there's a two or three insolvencies that will have play out before the end of the cycle. I, I, could be Nexo, right? Nexo's um, Nexo's reserves have been shrinking. 
Um, there seem to be real challenges there. Crypto.com, uh, we know, is under duress. Uh, Binance is so big that a lot of other people would have to go down, I think, before they would go down. Because if Binance goes down, then almost certainly like a big chunk of the rest of the ecosystem goes down. That's why it's so hard to predict that when Binance will have issues. I hope that Binance will get their act together and stop doing some of the things that have caused these other firms to go down, but I don't have a lot of hope about that. Yeah, here's a final question and a fun one to end on. Uh, Brad Smith on YouTube wants to know, any thoughts on Jamie Dimon's comments again today at Davos about Bitcoin? Uh, Jamie Dimon, once again, reiterating his view, I believe he used the phrase hyped up fraud. I don't think, he, I said this before, like I don't think these guys actually understand the difference between Bitcoin and Celsius and FTX and Ethereum, right? Like they, they're just, it's all just one big category of stuff that they don't like, they don't understand. And in some, some ways it's somewhat threatening to their, to their core business. So I, I don't give it a lot of, I don't give it a lot of credence. Like I think Bitcoin will still be around years from now. It'll be around long after Jamie Dimon is dead. Uh, morbid dead, macabre note to uh, end on for the question section. Thanks again for the questions. Really appreciate it on both YouTube and especially on the Real Vision website. Mike, great conversation, covered a lot of ground here, touched on a lot of topics. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with. Well, we didn't really talk about it, but I actually think now is probably one of the best times to allocate to the space uh, in the history because we've got a lot of infrastructure built out that wasn't here in 2018 or even 2020. Uh, but the prices of the assets are saying that it's going to be a long, dark, bear market. So even though I'm worried about two or three other centralized counterparties that could go down, I think from an investment standpoint, if you want to allocate towards crypto companies and crypto assets, now is definitely a time to be allocating, paradoxically. Yeah, my key takeaway on this is uh, just having this conversation here today, obviously discussing all of these stories. Uh, as you can tell, these are stories that are still very much in flight. We don't know where they're going to land. Uh, so this is a space that we need to stay tuned to very closely. And of course, that's what we'll be doing here on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. These conversations are always fantastic. I hope you'll come back again. Thank you, Ash. Appreciate it. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, if you're not a Real Vision subscriber yet, don't forget, it's free. Head to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto and subscribe and hit the notification bell for a second uh, good measure as well. That way you will always stay up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis. That's it for today. Again, thank Mike Alford for joining us. See you at noon tomorrow, 5 p.m. London time, 9 a.m. Eastern live on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Oh!